Allison Show. I'm Allison, and boom, baby. I'm so glad you're here. Listen, lover, there's so much power in learning to see ourselves clearly. So on this podcast, let's try. We're going to laugh together, possibly cry together, and we'll talk about why it's hard to feel our inherent wholeness, why it can be hard to feel awesome, and what we're going to do about it. And good news, we're going to be aggressively compassionate to ourselves and others as we do it. Let's go. This is episode 179, Creating and Being Silly with Bob Odenkirk and Aaron Too. This episode is brought to you by me, Allison, and all of my fantastic online courses. <laughs> the one I want to focus on today is called Flower Power Magic. It's my brand new course in which I share my love of my greatest passion at this moment, flowers. It's going to teach you flower design, but it's also going to teach you how to use flowers and playing with them to heal, to feel, and reveal your inner creative genius. So head to the link in bio to check it out. <sighs> I'm here with the one, the only, the sexy, the talented, my husband and yours, Mr. Eric Robertson. Good afternoon. Oh my gosh, everybody missed you. You weren't there for one episode and nobody wants to listen to the podcast anymore. You think that's why? Everyone's <laughs> listening to the podcast. <laughs> They're like, finally, finally. Here's the thing, right? He's not going to be in every episode, but that doesn't mean, well, we won't get him sometimes because I know where this man lives. <laughs> Do you know where I sleep too? Yeah, I sleep right <laughs> next to you, sir. This episode with Bob freaking Odenkirk. I couldn't do this without my boy toy, without my man, without my person to remind me that I am happily married because woo, I love Bob Odenkirk. You crush on him. <laughs> I seriously start cackling and like blushing and getting Twitter painted whenever we just start talking about well, him. We talked about how much you love his voice too. I talked about how much I loved his voice directly to him. And that was a special moment. You'll for hear me. that in a few, in a minute or so. <laughs> okay. Yes. Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, and all sorts of incredible projects wrote a really, really cool book with his daughter, Erin Odenkirk. And she did the illustrations. And it is a book of silly poems and just, it, that's it. It's silly poems and art. But the messages, are really all about the power of letting go, being creative. What were some of your takeaways? Like, what did you love about the conversation, Eric? I love how he talked about what success was to him creatively. Mm. I'm not going to say what that is. You have to listen. You have to listen. Uh, but I love <laughs> the book Zillit. I love how like he takes the beauty. They they take the beauty of everyday life and make it fun. And and the, the, you have to be present to see all the silliness and all the coolness. And the art's amazing. The poems are fun. And our kids love it. I love it. So it's it's just it's just a it's pretty cool. Pretty pretty cool. <laughs> Talk to Bob Odenkirk. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even really know how it happened, but I'm just pretty freaking stoked. I just want to say, as we were talking to him, it really just felt like talking to a human, which, duh, he is a human, but he just is so sincere. He's cool. So really down cool. to earth. His daughter, Erin, delightful. Some of the things that Erin said have really stuck with me over the past few weeks. Cannot recommend the book enough. Let's get into this interview. Hey, Allison. Um, hi. 
What's going on? We're so excited to talk to you. And we are so excited about your book. So just to give you a little place and space, we do a podcast called Awesome with Allison. We've been doing it for about five or six years. The only goal is to help people feel a little more awesome. Eric, my husband and I, were both entrepreneurs. He's a music producer. We're down here in his studio. So we're just very excited to talk to you. And Aaron... As the offspring, the product of creative living, we hope we don't screw our kids up too bad. So we're excited to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm sure you will. Oh, yeah, we absolutely will. So, Where are you guys? Where are you guys living? We live in Provo, Utah. Oh, wow. Have you been out to Provo, Bob? I have not been to Provo. Salt Lake, maybe? I've been to Salt Lake. Yeah. Not too far. Not too far from there. Beautiful. Beautiful country. Yeah. We're so excited to meet you, Bob. We've been huge fans for a lot of years. In fact, Allison, I'm sure she'll tell you, she she has a crush on your voice. You, you hear that all the time. You hear it all I the time. I do. It's because I'm vain and people love my voice, but I love your voice. So. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I uh, don't know what it's from. I don't drink whiskey. I don't smoke. It's from it, screaming at myself inside. So how many interviews have you guys done about the book so far? Are you sick of talking about it? No, we're not sick of talking talk about, about it. <laughs> we're excited to talk about it. No, we aren't sick of it yet. I know how it goes. You do a lot of interviews. You try to get the word out about anything you make, a movie or a TV show, and it can't get long but I don't think we're close to that on this project. It's pretty wonderful to make something that has so much heart and fun in it and so genuine because as you talk about it, it's that's what you're talking about. You're talking about the best thing you have <laughs> to offer the world, and that's a pretty great thing. Well, that's beautiful. I really loved your book, and I want to get to Zillit because we both really yeah. loved it. But- in comedy drama. Yes. This is a a quote that I wrote down. It might be a couple sentences put together, but I feel like it helps set the stage for some of the ways I'm interested to talk about this book with you guys both. Awkward beginnings are when something good can happen. Once you know what works, chances are no longer taken. Something beautiful dies with success, the ability to flail. And I have done so many different projects, businesses, both in comedy and drama, feel the different pivoting. And I love that word flail. And I just felt that on such a visceral level. And that's one of the reasons why I think this book resonates so much. Zillit resonates so much with both Eric and I, as we both really appreciate silliness. I don't know. Silliness is like a medicine. There's also a couple poems in this book that are about trying and failing. There's I flubbed it and there's incrementalism. And you know where I heard that term and I introduced it to my kids. I love watching parkour videos. (laughs) I just love skateboard videos and parkour videos. They're incredible. And one of they were interviewing some guy who was talking about parkour and he said, the way you get good at parkour is a theory of incrementalism. And I was like, what? And what is that? It's not a theory. It just try and try again. And, but also incrementally challenging yourself. So I really loved that being presented as a theory. It made me laugh. And, and then there's a, a poem, one of my favorites is called The Great Day. And it's not quite so much about trying so much as it is about having a good spirit towards yourself when you fail. 
and I think that's part of it too. It's not something that I had as a kid, but it's something I've seen in other people. And I see it as a very healthy thing is a, is an ability to make mistakes, know you made a mistake, acknowledge it, but also smile about it and go, oh, let's do it again. Let's try again. I'll try to do better next time and not get down on yourself, not get too, not judge yourself too harshly. I think that's so beautiful. I love so much that you did this project with Aaron, your daughter. Aaron, I would love to hear from you because Bob, I know in theory, like as a parent, it's easy for us to say, yeah, don't get too hard on yourself when you mess up. And then when you're looking at your children and you're like, sometimes we just look at our oldest, she just turned 13 and we're like, we're so sorry. We really, we, man, we're real sorry about. So I'm just curious, let's take that idea of flailing and failing and how that's shaped parenthood for you a little bit. And Aaron, when you failed, how your parents were so harsh on you. No, I'm just kidding. But like, how was that for you? And I know in order to be an artist, man, you've just got to be okay flailing. I think interestingly, despite their best efforts and good example, I was born with whatever gene that causes you to yell at yourself in your head. Yeah. So even though failing was totally accepted, I was internally a perfectionist and a very hard worker and too self-serious. And it's writing this kid's book was another reminder of kind of unlearning all of that stuff. And I actually ended up teaching this eight-year-old art. We had art classes once a week. It was so lovely while I was working on this book. And every week he taught me that again, seeing him hit road roadblocks and feel very trapped by them and feel like he can't go forward. And me from this like literal, taller, higher, older perspective, seeing how it's okay. And it's still a wonderful piece. And all he has to do is put his pencil on the page and keep going. And by the end of the class, he would always love what he made once we pushed through that. And just getting to see that happen as an older person made me reflect a lot on how hard on myself I've been and how possible everything is and how okay it is to to fail. Um, yeah, I, I, Aaron was always so serious as a kid. It was too much. And we you don't know what to do because she was a perfectionist. She would turn her papers in at the last second, but she would get A's. And they were, she worked so hard and she'd always feel like it's not good enough, even though obviously it was. And how many times did you practice SAT? Take a practice. You took four. I don't know. Probably. How many times did you take the SAT? I think you took four. Sagittarius. Oh, she's a Sagittarius. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, yeah, look, I care a lot. That's a good thing, but you have to, you're never going to make anything if you're not able to put something out there that's the best you can do right now. I have a question about that with your art. What, when you decide what your best art is and you look back, what emotions or what times of your life were you in? For me, I'm a musician. It's usually when I'm pensive or even depressed at times, that's sometimes my best my best comes out. I'm curious on your process. Okay. I wrote a scene that many people consider a great scene for SNL called Matt Foley, the motivational speaker, uh, Chris Farley played. I wrote that alone in my apartment in the, in Chicago. And I was 
not in a good space. I was really feeling low and very alone, very alone. And that lends itself to what you just said. On the other hand, some of the stuff that I've written that is really good, especially Mr. Show stuff, I was laughing my ass off and happy. You have to get to whether it's the place the piece starts from or the place where you end up somewhere along that line of making something. I do think you need to calm down and not be carried away on fumes and be. And I think depression can sometimes help people be quiet and think about really deep things, be motivated by deeper things that then become part of the work. And then that work has more impact because it it at the core of it has something you care about on a deeper level. But I just would worry about ever telling anyone that depression helps you be creative, because I don't think it does. It might help you be more serious about what you're doing. And I don't but think- But you can need- also, you don't need it. You can find that seriousness outside of that too. Yeah, I think there's a, the more you make stuff, the more you refine things, the more you understand that it's this place that you go to that mixes imagination with rules and what you've learned. And it takes a, it, you got to step into imagination and back into the rules and structure and then back into imagination. And, and then everything you make isn't going to be perfect. I, I yeah. love that. The poem that I'm reminded of as both you and Aaron shared is the perfect scribble, which Aaron, I love the illustration on that. The like one line, don't lift your finger up prompt feeling. And I, I love the idea behind it where my crayon did it. I barely helped. I guess I held the crayon. There was no helpful elf. I feel like when I create art and I'm able to release it in a healthy way, that is how I feel. I'm like, oh yeah, I guess there wasn't a magical elf, but like really it was the crayon. And so I think I'm curious for both of you. For myself, I've realized I've had to, as I, my art are events and essays, writing books, all those different things. And I've had to come up with a new definition of success for myself or the success of each individual project. One that isn't the definition of the overculture and isn't a definition of the ego, but is like Allison's definition. Hmm. And I'm just curious because I know you're both thoughtful and I, the messages of the book are just, they're just perfect. So I would be so curious to know where you both have landed. Like, what do you hang your hat on where you're like, yeah, this is my personal definition of success that I put this project and I did it. Yeah, it's a good question. One of the worst feelings you can have is, because I've had it in my life, is to have bad reviews, negative reviews, and to agree with those negative Mm. reviews. And to know that you deserve that critique because you didn't give it everything you had. So I think, and some of the great artists in my world, like, Steven Spielberg, who I've gotten to work with, I see that one of the things they do is they never stop trying to make it better. They never just say, I hope it works. That's what I got. They go, what could be better? Let's try to make it better. What could, what would make this moment work better? And they never stop 
trying to perfect it. And it doesn't mean everything that they end up with is perfect. But there have been times in my life where I haven't done that. So when you do that, I think you can always be proud of what you put out. And you know that. You feel it. You feel like maybe it's not a perfect piece, but that was everything I could do at that time. I never, in the course of time I had to write and rewrite that piece or to rehearse and prepare that piece, I used every second I had and every bit of thinking I I could apply. And so if you've done that, you tend, I think, to feel good about what you did. And if you haven't done that, I don't know, even if it works, I don't think you feel great. (laughs) You just feel lucky, just lucky. And then Aaron, I'm guessing your tendency, because I feel like we're kindred spirits and that it's, oh no, I gave it everything I had and still going to beat the crap out of myself. (laughs) You're so, I can't believe that I'm that transparent. Um, (laughs) Or I'm insightful, really. (laughs) I mean, with, with a published book, you only have, there's a deadline. There is a day you can no longer work on it. And that is a really hard thing to accept as anyone, as an artist, as a 20 year old, I'm growing and I'm changing so much. And it, every iteration I did, every little thing, every change we made was, it got a little better. And to hear that I couldn't make those changes anymore even as I got older and as time passed and as I got to look at it more and ruminate on it of course I had I have my reservations um but I was talking to my therapist about this (laughs) and she said something that has stuck with me and it's true Aaron knowing you and knowing what you just said about all that you wouldn't let something come out that wasn't at least good and what people whether people resonate with it or not, whether they fall into it or pass by it is out of your hands now. And it would have always been out of your hands, even if it was exactly amazing and perfect. And when I think about all of the work that I idolize, it was my choice to fall into those pieces. They could have been pieces I just walked past on the shelf and it wouldn't have made them any better or worse. It just was the way I was able to connect with that illustrator or that writer. And so to give the trust into the universe like that is how I've come to terms with this book being published, which by the way, I do think is, I am really proud. It's in my heart of hearts. It's I had a book come out last year and you should be very proud. Just even, yeah, that, that letting go, that releasing. Can I ask you, do you have, I know it's hard to choose favorites, but do you have an illustration that when you look at it, you're like, I just can't deny it. I'm really good. I have been feeling that way about that time of year, which is the poem about all the trees in the garden. It's that's red. Our, yeah. that's our oh. Mark is our, that's our favorite illustration. Yeah. It came together so succinctly and it has real trees from my garden at home. And I was able oh, to draw from life that. and throw in all these fun little characters and moments that I hope a kid just gets lost in looking at and I want to make a hundred more things like that they make me so happy you can see the tree right there that he's showing you is the tree that's oh right in the center oh yeah oh my gosh what kind is that 
I have no clue. It looks like it was made up by a scientist. Um, like a yucca? It's a pitted swaying swillow, I think. Oh, okay. That's what it is. <laughs> that's right. So it's uh, a bumber shoop seedling. <laughs> Aaron, Possibly. Your, your art is so whimsical and magic. And let me tell you a quick story. We have a seven-year-old. We have three kids. Our youngest is seven. And she's grumpy. She's terrifying in a good way. She's also a Sagittarius. Yeah, she's okay. terrifying. I'm scared of Fire. her. Fire. So she's, she, was, she was grumpy. And she was laying by me in bed. And I pulled the, this book up. And I said, let's read. And she did not want to read because she wanted to watch a show. Mm -hmm. So let's just try one. And so I read one and she's like, oh, okay, I want to watch a show. I'm like, let's just do one more. We ended up reading like 15 and then we ended on this tree one. And she stared at the picture for, I don't know, 30 seconds, for, which is for a seven-year-old, pretty amazing. Yeah. But this is a question for both of you. Bob, I want to know how you feel about reading to your children, how important that was. Yeah. And then, Aaron, I want to know how that was as a child. I'd love both perspectives. I It was a high priority for me. I, we started reading to our kids when they were like mm, two weeks old. Now, that might sound crazy because a two-week-old is just a little silly blob of funny. Yeah, they're so pathetic. But the thing is, you put them on your lap. You're going to give them a bottle anyways. You're going to burp them anyways. You take out the little hardboard, cardboard books that have like pictures and you just point to things. And I think it helps their brain get used to looking and being told about what they're looking at or thinking about what they're looking at. And you just and the other thing it can help you with is developing a ritual for soothing before bedtime of having those steps of taking a bath, reading books, saying goodnight to the things in your room. And now you go to sleep and everybody and every adult needs some version of that. That's being a human being. And we started very young and we always read more than one book, two, three, four books. I just put the reading at a high priority. Also, it's fun to do. And then there came a point where I thought I came from, I'm from Naperville, Illinois. Nobody I would say nobody I knew was in the arts, but I did have a neighbor who was a political cartoonist, pretty well known, actually, Dick Loker, who drew for the Chicago Tribune and won a Pulitzer. But I didn't know that till I was older. Still, it's a real challenge to see yourself as a person in the world who makes songs, who makes movies, who makes books, who becomes politician, who becomes important. But every kid should feel that they are a part of that continuum of the people who make things in the world and make the world. And I think by having your kids write a poem, put it in a book, and you can see all these. Oh, I love how that's in the back of the book too, that picture. That's priceless. Oh, it's so good. And a lot of these pages are just loose pages that I tore out of a notepad and they'll have two poems on them from two different nights and then stick them in a book or they'll have even three and then put that book on the shelf and make a cover for it. And I don't know, I just try to get it in the kid's mind, in the back of their mind that they will make the world around them. That's phenomenal. That's beautiful. Thanks. Thank you for that. That's Well, I that's because I think kids, I met some people who grew up with famous parents and they didn't question whether they should be allowed to make art. Mm. Uh, I think kids who grew up in Hollywood, especially, 
And it, there's a detriment to it as well, which is that they think it's easy or they think they're entitled to a career. That's not good. What is good is believing it's possible and yeah. that you might be one of the people who gets to do that. You can't do anything if you don't believe it's somehow possible that you could matter in that world. And the truth is, every kid will make the world that we all live in. They will be the people who run the world. So get them to think that's possible and make the most of what they're capable of. Yeah, that's so cool. That book has got to be just like priceless, like a family treasure. It is. 13 of these poems are exactly what we wrote. Wow. 15, 15 others are pretty close or have the major idea as the same. And then probably another like 10 to 15 are drawn from loose ideas because there's a lot of poems in here. And then the others we wrote in the last three years. So there's 80 poems all told. But it, it is really not good, a lot of it. That's okay, right? <laughs> it's totally okay. doesn't matter. It's totally okay. Butter everywhere, maple syrup in my hair, between my fingers, banana lingers, and little nut shavings are in my ears. I made pancakes for breakfast, yum. I mixed... I cooked some and even ate some. So it's not a good poem. I liked it, Bob. Objective, <laughs> objective. I have a couple of questions. The creative process. I often think that I have collaborated with my children on an art piece. And then when we explain it to other people, they don't seem to think that they collaborated with me, that I did it. I'll tell you, if I read these to you, you would believe <laughs> that, that a kid wrote it. And that's key. It was very key to me that I don't try to fix what they suggest. If they suggest the first line or the second line, I just write it down. And I, it's in the book. It gets in there. That's more important than fixing it. And then we fix later, uh, 15 year, years later. Bob, this is a, I love this because I'm a, I'm a composer. And each year for Allison's birthday, I, t I get the kids in the studio and I build a beat and then they, they just sing on top of it. I don't fix it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it is, we laugh so hard since they were like four and oldest is 13. So we have all these songs from the, of them praising their mom and all the different memories. And so I can, that's why I love this so much is that I can totally relate to how priceless this is and to let the kids just express. Hey, how about the song yesterday by the Beatles? What was it? Was it, what was it originally? It was like ham and eggs or. Oh yeah. It was some something silly. Yeah. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, just gibberish is fine if it's just getting you started. Absolutely true. Uh, Aaron, do you remember writing the poems? You're not that old. Vaguely. It wasn't that long ago, right? <laughs> I'm 22, and I yeah. think we. I was like four-ish when we started, and I was probably like seven-ish when we stopped. So I don't have a ton of memories from back then. But when I hold the book in my hands, it does take me back and I can put myself back in that room, in that chair and remember all that it felt like and all the things I was thinking about at the time and what was silly to me and what was, we talk a lot about food. We talk a lot about being unprepared or messing up and how funny that can be. We talked a lot about school and bedtime. You have your life looks a certain way and you're concerned about a certain set of things. And so getting to dive back into that is super cool through this book. I love that. Are any of the poems more autobiographical than others? 
are any following true life events? <laughs> oh, uh, Nate loved the 99 cent store. So he wrote that poem as a kid. We wrote that together, but he loved going to the 99 cent store. What else, Aaron? I'm, I know there are. Dr. Uh, Dr. Bluestone was their doctor and he had okay. this, he talked like this. He ran his words together like this. Uh, <laughs> and so I would do, we would be driving to go see him and I'd be like, have the children been eating ice cream they should have plenty of ice cream every day and the kids <laughs> they loved it bob are you the grandpa's doing fine or is that someone else are you me driving slow no yeah the seating oh, oh yes grandpa's fine of course is that yes. you or is that your grandpa that's you no that's me now <laughs> <laughs> i'm driving slower and slower because i don't want to get in an accident i don't want to hit someone and the, the older you get if people, the more shocking it is that we drive cars around every day and don't just kill each other. Like I, I, like, was, I got hit by a car on a run. So like I was like legit just hit by a car. So I love being able to say the phrase, it feels like I got hit by a car and I have grounds to say. Yeah. And you know what you you're know? saying. Yeah. You know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I love the title of the book, Zillit, and it, it, why it resonates with me so much is because our oldest daughter made up a word, and it, oh. it, it's between pinching and scratching, and she named it Gritchet. It's called Gritcheting. It's a Gritchet, yeah. And I'm like, Zillit and Gritchet, I was like, we are- we I'm are telling you. Get it. It's instinctive because it, it may, it's a fort, right? It's like a fort that you make. Yeah, That's a yeah, and you'd call it a blanket fort or a, oh, a or an indoor fort or just a <laughs> fort, a blanket fort. But Nate started calling it a zillet. <laughs> he said, let's build a zillet. What? Let's build a zillet. What are you talking about? Put a blanket up over the couch and make a zillet. And we were confused. We thought he had heard it somewhere. But I can't find where he might have heard that. So we just started to use it. We liked the word. And, and it was one of the first poems we wrote. And I did used to talk to my kids this way. I, when they were, from when they were little, don't get rambunctious, don't clutter or overfill it. Be cool and mellow and you won't compromise the integrity of the zillet. And I would say that line to my kids when we build it. And then I would say, you'll compromise the integrity of the zillet. So just be calm. Don't knock your, knock it around. So I try to get, yeah, I try to contextualize it, but I talked about like this to my kids all the time with kind of fun. I'm having fun with language. I think that's one of the reasons too. I just love it. My mom is a very literary person and always spoke to us, not burdening us with adulthood, but like we were adults. And so one of my favorites, one of my favorite words ever is lollygagging. And my other favorite, one of my other favorite words is drivel. And you have a poem that has both of them in there together. Would you mind reading lollygagging? <laughs> oh, I, I don't mind at all. It's one of my favorite poems in this whole thing, because well, I think it's also really true. In the, that, well, yes, like a philosophical concept of like, I could get deeply spiritual with this. I believe it to be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lollygagging. Lollygagging. There's not enough lollygagging going on around here, and daydreams are in short supply. The whole week is jammed with to-dos and to-don'ts. No one's gazing at clouds in the sky. 
There's so much nonsense to accomplish. I simply can't do it all alone. I'll think stray thoughts and you mutter drivel. You walk in circles and I'll tunelessly whistle. We'll bandy about the most pointless of piffle and cram this day full of jabber and jibble. We'll aim to aim aimlessly and traipse about spaciously and fart around graciously and fritter tenaciously. Let's not focus nor work on what's necessary or needed. Let's get down to beeswax and get our lollygagging completed. <laughs> it's so good. It's a good one. Yeah, it's important to remember. I used to, my grandma lived about four blocks from where we grew up, my, the house I grew up in until I was five. And when I was four, I went to kindergarten and I walked home alone. Can you believe it? Yeah. A, a four-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was about a three-block walk. And she saw me walking home one day and called my mom and said, does he ever make it home? And that's always been my way. I, I want space to daydream. I really resent it. And so often in my life, I haven't had that because I got very busy with life and work. But I resent not having time to daydream. And it, I think the reason the message resonates with me so much is both being a very nonsensical person, but then also that very type A achievement oriented getting a lot accomplished. And then yeah. I feel like collectively we're coming off the hangover of worshiping the entrepreneur and putting them on such a pedestal. I think we're still seeing the effects of that. It's just like the nature of the game is this achievement, accomplishment, very linear focused. And the idea yeah. of, of daydreaming, lollygagging, drivel nonsense to me it's more of the the feminine in the sense of like the natural earth where there's seasons and cycles and we need those seasons of of rest i think to this point it's like seasons of nonsense almost where the nonsense is the rest i was going through a really difficult time my body was starting to shut down from working erin be warned and i just got out a marker one day and wrote on our walls in a Sharpie, it's okay to be silly. And I was making up like a nonsense song to myself about how it's okay to be silly. And I don't know, I just, I wrote it on the wall. Mm -hmm. And I think it was like an inner childhood reclaiming and also just, I'm an adult and I get to do whatever I want, like right on the walls. <laughs> um, and It's a good thing to remind yourself of. Yeah. There's a responsibility there too, weirdly, that in every way, responsibility to enjoy your life, to do things that you're inspired to do. And there's an interesting thing that happens where you see people when they turn 21 or sometimes when they leave their home at a younger age and they really go, I can make who I am in the world. I had a friend who's a very funny guy, Paul F. Tompkins. Do you know him? He's a great comedian. And he wore suits and he lived in L.A. He didn't drive. He couldn't drive. He didn't care. He rode a bike. And he just made his life what he wanted it to be because he could. And people forget that you can do that. I'm curious. You said you resented not daydreaming as much as you could. Have you made it like a do – you, do you plan time for that or are you just more open to it? What are you doing differently? Um, 
I did have a heart attack two years ago, and people often ask me, how did that change you? And it didn't really change me all that much initially because I had a lot of work to finish. I had all these projects I had started that I just owed people. I had to finish TV shows, more than one, movies, promotions. So I had to go through that. But what I saw myself doing was making sure that I didn't add to that pile. So that there would come a place of quiet and open, an open schedule that I hadn't had in years. So I have that now. Now, of course, we had these strikes in L.A. and the Writers Guild strike got finished yesterday. Oh, it did. Oh, yeah. Now, we haven't signed off on it and the Writers Guild members have to vote on it. But once they publish it and I have great faith in the negotiators that we have made some good progress and we will sign off on that. So, but we had these strikes and that made space obviously in my life and I treasure it and I've enjoyed it, whether it's just sitting around, swimming, writing, reading books. I took a hiking trip in Ireland for a week and a half just by myself. Wow! And I'm not going to go back to how I was. And that's because of having a heart attack. And what we just talked about, that's the priority that came to me more than anything was not stop working, not quit, but you got to have space in your life to, if you, and sometimes you can't, if you have two kids, three kids, if you have financial trouble, you can't do this. I get it. I'm not saying you're a jerk for not listening to me. Maybe you've just said yes to too many things and you're a responsible person. I say finish those responsibilities, follow through, but try to build into your life space to take it in, to enjoy it, to think about what you just did, how it felt, what you would do different, to take some time to find something else you want to do to fill your time next. Otherwise, I don't think you accrue real memories or really experience life without that. What I think is so beautiful, and Aaron, I think you brought this up as well, is the subject matter that a four to seven-year-old is working with, the context of your day. Do you want to open the door? We have our dumb little Jack Russell Terrier losing his mind. (laughs) (laughs) He wants to be in here so badly. You're talking about food. You're talking about school. But what I love about that, and Bob, to your point is, yes, it's a privilege to get to sit around and be silly. However, it's also very accessible in the way that it is presented in Zillit, in that it is the simple things in life, having a meal, thinking about the way grandpa is, thinking about your family members, Frida Kahlo, a TV island, making a fort, even just all of these very, these very everyday concepts that even taking the time to read to your children, I feel like is making time for daydreaming in a way like, We can back up with scientific research that shows how good it is to read for your children. But if we take away that research, like the pure joy of saying the word lollygag and drivel and zillit, right? That's Those are cheap wins, cheap thrills to, to bring a little bit of that silliness into your life, I feel like. It's to so for the kid and so for the adult too, yeah. to be an adult who can and to have the safety of the context of just being around a kid who has no prejudgments 
and to get to be silly again and make voices and get loud and get really quiet through things like poetry and kids books and sharing that with your kid, it's, it's a total privilege and like really good exercise as an adult. And it's something I am still getting comfortable with, like being silly again. Yeah. One of the things that you make me think of with that comment is these were written with a kid. Yeah. So the subject matter, the things they're thinking about, the things that are part of their life, you see, there's a lot of poems that have food in them. Uh, a lot, a couple poems that are about going to bed. These are the things that they're thinking about and experiencing. It's interesting, you guys. As I shared with you, some of these poems were written when the kids were adults. Now, there's probably 25 poems that were written when Nate and Aaron are 19 and 21. And the hardest part about writing those was I didn't have a kid there to go, what'd you do today? Yeah. <laughs> things like things like a day at the park. Do you know that one? It's, yeah. it's just like a teacher making rules that came yeah. from going to stuff with the kids going to their it's and there's just field trip. Yes. It's what is you're not going to do anything. You're just going to follow these rules. We're supposed to go to the park and have fun. But now just stay on the bus and don't do anything. But all these things. Thank you. In, in a way, what I'm saying is. Your observation about the subject matter here, I wouldn't want to take too much credit for these themes and subject matters because they really were because there was a kid writing it. Read the label about the toothpaste that makes you lose your teeth. Oh, yeah. My, my son, I, he wasn't alone. A, a bunch of the, I'd say especially the boys around the age of eight, nine, started to really talk about and make observations and laugh about advertising. Hmm. I think that's an age where people's brains are just developed enough to go, hey, that's not true. Or, hey, you're spinning that. That's You're making that more bigger and greater than it is. They, they so, start to... You're so Our 10-year-old laughs about all the side effects on the medication stuff. He always like, recites those on the way to school. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. Years old. I'm telling you, one of Nate's favorite books, my son, when he was like eight, nine, and you might want to get it, is this book of 40s and 50s ads. It's one of those picture books, and it's but it's not for children. It's 1950s ads, and he loved that thing. Obviously, they're ads from a different time, but they're, it's – their brains are grasping that there's a bit of a snow job happening. Yeah. And it and they're gleeful about it. They're like a peek behind the curtain. I yeah. can see the adults are trying to trick each other. And they love it. It's like they're it's almost like they're being initiated into the world as it is, which is we're all just making it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. This book brings us, me back to the, my childhood and silliness. First off, Bob, I think you should you should record <laughs> your voice reading it and then sell that. We actually, let me tell you, we have an audio book of this. Oh, good. And it's me and Emo Phillips no. and Maria Bamford no. and Ron Funches oh my. And, and this great kid, Samuel Robert Epstein. And we switch off. 
through the whole book. And Evan Schletter did the music. There's music through the whole thing. Oh, okay, fun. Oh. Oh, I'm so glad to know that because then we can listen in the car. That's going to be amazing. I know we have to wrap, but I want to know from both of you, what is your absolutely wildest dream about this book? What do you hope happens with it? Aside from oh. people reading it, I want to know your vision. What would just tickle you? My I dream. want to yeah. walk into someone's home who I just met, who I've never interacted with before, who has a child and see it on the shelf. I just want to know that it's the property of a child somewhere and adored to some degree. I'd love to see it actually without its bookcase, just the naked hardcover book on someone's bookshelf in Here stranger's nice. home. Such a good, tangible, balanced <laughs> goal. I'm, I'm in love with that. That's absolutely Thank you. beautiful. That's beautiful. I, the, you know, we, we're going to get reviewed and, uh, and we've gotten some really nice feedback, especially from kids. My dream is something I could never see happen, but it would be that the book is much thumbed through, beaten up, and that kids are picking it up five, seven, ten years from now and losing themselves in it. And I hope being supported and comforted by it too. I, I think it's got a, the spirit of it is so well presented in Aaron's artwork. Yeah, It's hopefully, I think, a sweet book that is makes you feel good about being alive. It, that's absolutely what it is. And it's the sincerity in which those moments were created all those years ago, I feel like it pulls through and it makes this magic with the sincerity that it was created in present day. So we thank you guys so much for your hard work, for your bravery in doing something new and different. And it's always hard to do. The older you get, the harder it is to do. Aaron, I hope your early success doesn't blind you to your greatness. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for sharing your work and these incredible messages. We appreciate it so much. And we can't wait to share this with all the people. So we're going to get this out to all thank you. Guys. Thank you so thank much you for guys. having us. It's great to meet you guys. It's very nice meeting you. Thank you for all that you do. Love your books. Love your work. Love your children. And Thank your you. wife is great. You're, both, <laughs> you're amazing. You guys are doing great. Thanks for being in the world. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. Take, Take care. care. Bye, guys. Yeah, okay. It's fine. I just interview celebrities, you know? It's like not a big deal, Eric. Takes one to no one. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say thank you again to Bob and Aaron and highly recommend their book. The gifting season is upon us. I want a copy for every child I know. And if you don't have children, you're still going to want a copy. So be sure to check that out. We'll link to that. And I want to say thank you so much for listening to The Allison Show. If you would like to ask Allison a question, <laughs> I'm going to put a link to like a Google Doc where you can put your questions and then on some of the episodes or when I'm feeling so inclined, <laughs> I shall answer them and they can be questions about anything. If you have a question and it can be totally anonymous if you would like, and I'm so excited to answer that. Also, I know we just came back, but if you're excited, I would really appreciate a review. And for those of you who leave reviews, you are going to be able to have a chance to get my Taking Inspired Action course for free. So if we read your review, we'll send you that course. 
it's really good. And only you can be you. And you're already as awesome as you need to be. No, I wasn't going to stop saying that. It's such a good line. Eric, I also would never want to deny the people of your music. And you have been working on some really incredible projects. What are you going to share with us today? Okay, I've been doing a project. They're called Binaural Beats. They help binaural, you bin, binaural Beats. Binaural? Is it gnarl? Binaural Beats, yeah. Okay. They help you get into uh, certain frequencies that can affect you know moods and emotions and this one is uh 396 that means nothing to you but this is for like transformational and being creative and it's it's a really good one so i love these and i was just using some of them earlier today so people can find these online right yeah we'll link to them we'll link to them I love me, independent of you loving me. I believe. 